What should be the Christian response to culture? Should we shun it? Should we embrace it? We're going to be talking about this topic today as we start a new sermon series called The Gospel in Life. Welcome to the podcast of Tower Hill Church. This is Pastor Jason. Hope that you're having a great day and I hope that you had a great weekend. We had a really great weekend around here. It was Tower Hill weekend, the big kickoff to our new fall season of worship and programming and mission and doing life together. And uh, it, it was really festive and fun on Sunday. We had uh, we went back to our regular worship times, our regular worship schedule with full Sunday school at both hours. We had inflatables for the kids. We had French toast for all ages. And uh, it was really a wonderful time, too, to get connected, to get uh, re-immersed back into life. Uh, again, that, that launch, or I should say that landing, back into our regular rhythm of life and, and probably new rhythms all around. I know that for my family, we're still trying to figure out our new rhythm with kids and school and schedules and sports. But we're a weekend, and everything seems to be going okay. We are, uh, we've survived a week. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> so, hope that you are surviving and thriving this week. Our, we kicked off a new sermon series yesterday, and we're going to be doing this for eight weeks. It's a sermon series based on Tim Keller's group study called "The Gospel in Life." Now, these are eight. Uh, original sermons to go along with the group study. So we do want to encourage folks, if you want to drill down deeper into this topic, into what Pastor Keller talks about, we want to encourage you to get involved in a group that's doing the group study. So we have a whole bunch of opportunities. One of the opportunities are Monday mornings, I'm leading a study. We have many other opportunities that should be listed at towerhillchurch.org. Or maybe you're just thinking, I want to get together with my friends I want to create my own group. You can please do that. Please do that. Or if you're like, I just individually want to go through the curriculum, I would just encourage you to, uh, you could go onto Amazon, you could pick up uh, Pastor Keller's resources. Again, it's called The Gospel in Life. But my prayer for all of us as we go into this fall is we don't neglect our spiritual growth. We're paying attention to everybody else's growth and to usually our, our vocational growth, even how are we going to spend our time on the weekends? Maybe it's sports, maybe it's trips, weekend trips that we're doing, whatever it is. It, we seem to be able to make time for everything. And then when it comes to our relationship with God, we take it for granted that, well, it'll be waiting for me when my schedule frees up. And of course, as we know, that rarely happens in that our schedule rarely frees up. So I want to encourage you, get after it, just like you're getting after each and every part of your life. And that's a great reminder to me, too, to just keep chasing God because God's already chasing me. All right, well, here we go into week one of the gospel in life. And I pray that you are blessed as you hear it and listen to it. And uh, we look forward to hopefully you come join us live next week as we go into week two. Uh, or maybe you're just listening to the podcast from afar Either way, we pray that this blesses you today. So the gospel in life, what is this about? Well, it's a lot like what it sounds. How do we take what we know about the gospel itself? What do we know about Jesus? What do we know about salvation? And how do we translate that into our everyday walking around, going to work, being with our family kind of life? How do we do that? 
How do we make that translation? What, what's the interpretive lens that we need to understand how to take these ideas of Jesus and put them into our everyday life? Because I do believe that's the secret. That's the secret to a flourishing faith. It's not that you have to add more spiritual things to your life necessarily. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like if I, don't, if I need to go to five more church activities, that'll do it, you know? It's not that. It's taking what you're already doing and leveraging it for what God wants to do in those things. That's what we're going to be talking about. So I'm going to go back in time a little bit with you today. All the way back to the summer of 1987. Some of you were not born yet. And um, that makes me very sad and feel very old. But the summer of 1907 is... The summer that my family moved from Los Angeles, California, to East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, I heard a couple, ooh, ooh, yes, 1987 was the year. I was going into sophomore year of high school. It's what I like to call the summer of exile, the summer of exile. It was, it was a rough summer for me. It's safe to say I was taken against my will. (laughs) Everything that I knew about my life, and especially in high school, oh my goodness, those years, those are so tough to pick up and to move. I know some of you have had that experience or you've you've moved your kids during that time and it's so hard because you know how hard it is that I left all of my friends. I left the beach in California. I left Disneyland. I left In-N-Out Burger. I left it all behind. Man, the weather. Did I mention In-N-Out Burger? I left it. It was, it was tough. It was tough. And I was getting transported to this new land that I knew nothing of called the Poconos. And, right, right. And the Poconos are not the, the thriving metropolis you see today. It's not quite what it was in 1987. All right. Now, just to give you an example of how different things were, when I was a kid, so that year, that summer, what was really popular, the music that was popular in 1987 in Southern California was Depeche Mode. That was it, man. That was the jam. And then I get out here to the Poconos, and it's this. (laughs) Little different genre. A little bit of a... It was different. You know, when I was out, out in California, we were so used to, even at our high school, we had these beautiful outdoor swimming pools. I mean, absolutely beautiful. And I go to East Stroudsburg, and I ask the high school, you guys have a pool, and it's like the grossest, dirtiest, indoor, nasty thing. I've, it's like the water's like green. It's, you know what I'm talking about? And then when, you, when you've, a uh, Californian kid, you've never been in an indoor pool, and it just, you can't breathe because of the chlorine, it was awful. I'm like, where am I? Where am I? And when I was in Southern California, I actually played as a freshman, played water polo. That was the big sport, water polo, even in 1987. And I meet with the athletic director at East Strasburg High School, and I ask him about the water polo team. He literally laughed in my face. I think he was thinking this with water polo. I think he clearly, it's just... It just was not, it just was, it was not computing. And then, you know, I'm in there in his office, and the football coach is there. 
And he sees me and goes, hey, you know, and, you know, thinks one look at me, does you ever play football? I said, no. By the end of the day, I had pads, I was signed up, I, was, I ended up playing football. But then I was thinking, even all the sports teams that I had grown to love, I was rooting for this guy, number 34, Bo Jackson. Come on. Bo Jackson. Bo knows. You remember that? Bo knows. Oh, my goodness. And then I get out here, and it's like, who is this guy? Who's this Phil Sims character? I got to root for him? Lame. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Don't, don't walk out. Don't you walk out of me. But at the point, I mean, everything that I knew and loved about where I was was different. And I had to figure out how, how to learn this new culture. It was like it was like going to a new country, it felt like. Except we all knew English. That was sort of like, but everything else, fashion, like what do you wear? What do you do? All that stuff was different. Thing is, I had to assimilate to a whole new city. A whole new city. But I didn't want to lose who I was. Right? I wanted to be a part of things. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to figure out the language of the culture. But there was part of me that resisted. I'm like, I, I don't want to lose who I am. All the things that I've come to know and love. And that's always difficult. Maybe you felt that before. Maybe you had an experience a lot like mine in your life. Picking up, moving. You tell, maybe it happened to you as a kid. Or maybe that hasn't happened to you in a while, but you've had something else happen in your life. Maybe some kind of life-changing event. Maybe somebody got sick. Or somebody passed away. Or somebody was divorced. Or somebody was remarried. Or something to where you feel like the culture around you has changed and you feel like you're kind of in an exile. You don't know how to fit in or maybe what your next step ought to be. You don't want to lose who you've always been. Now imagine that you are in a part of the world where a foreign invader comes in, conquers your land, and sends you off to a foreign city under their control. And you have to take everything that you are and rethink how you're going to live your life. This is what happened to the ancient Israelites. Same, same exact thing. About 600 years before Jesus, 586 B.C. When we go back to that time, we've, we show this map because I think it's really helpful. You see the, the northern kingdom, it was conquered by the Assyrians, and then the southern kingdom uh, the kingdom of Judah, where Jerusalem was, was conquered by the Babylonians. And when this happened, when Jerusalem fell, imagine the crisis that they were feeling. Like, where's God? Wait a minute. I thought God was on our side. I thought God was protecting us. This throws every, all of our confidence that we had is out the window. And then they, the Babylonians forced them, forced them to march around the Arabian desert. If you go to the next slide, you see kind of around just... It doesn't even do justice how far it was, but they're going all the way there, all the way to Babylon. A different language, a different culture that was very much anti everything they were about. Remember, Jewish culture was all about separateness. They had to live a certain way. They had to eat certain things. They had to follow certain rules in order to show that they were God's people. And they get carried off to this city. 
And they're like, no, 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 this is your home now. You have been conquered. You will do what we say. Imagine the crisis they were feeling as they're looking to relocate to this new place to figure out how do we act and be? How how do we survive? What do we do during this time without losing who we are? Well, according to the Babylonians, the answer was easy. They just said, you have to assimilate. And you have to lose everything that you are. There is no more religion that you have. It's gone. Whatever made you separate, that's over. You come, you fully integrate into Babylon. You fully integrate into our place. And then, of course, the Jewish leaders and Jewish people were like, no, we can't do that. And there were some leaders who said this. There's even a prophet, Hananiah, which turned out to be a false prophet, but just the same. This is what he was saying. He was saying, you must not assimilate. You must never lose who you are. So which one's right? I actually think this this has so much, even though this happened so many thousands of years ago, this has so much to say about how we live as Christians in the world. I think it shows two different views of culture that Christians have. And I think it's all about how we respond to culture that says everything about how we're supposed to live the gospel in our lives. So there's the one view, right, that says, don't, don't assimilate. <laughs> don't, don't do it. Stay separate. In other words, culture is bad. The city is bad. The, the products and processes of human cultural activity, they're inherently broken and evil, so stay away from them. It, you see, like, an extreme version of this would be the Amish, who say, in order to maintain our separateness, we have to literally be separate from the rest of culture. But then you have the other view that says, no, 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 our job as Christians, you just, you fully integrate, you fully assimilate into culture. And then the danger there, of course, is that people feel like you lose your distinctiveness of the gospel if you just accommodate to everything in culture. There are some very successful churches that are kind of navigating that. Some people think they've gone too far. I think of uh, Hillsong, New York. Uh, Hillsong, New York, is, uh, it's, very, it's set up intentionally to be like a club. And there are some who say that ought not be. But they think you, you fully integrate into culture, that there's nothing so that they fit right in. It doesn't seem odd. But some people say, yeah, but do you lose your distinctiveness? So which one's right? Are we supposed to fully integrate and lose our distinctiveness? Or are we supposed to fully separate? Is it okay to enjoy the things of culture? Is it okay to to root for NFL football teams? Is it okay to do that? It's all culture. Does that mean it's bad? Interestingly, the prophet Jeremiah comes up and he gives us God's way, which is a third way. Here's the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, beginning with verse 4. He says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Now, now we just stop right there. Sounds like full integration. Live your life there. Don't stay at a distance. Get married. Plant gardens. Build houses. Settle down in Babylon. What do you think? That's, That's a weird thing for God to say. Maybe a bit unexpected. He says more. Also, now this is wild. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Wait, what? Foreign people conquered us equals bad. Now you want me to live in their city and pray for them. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. He's referring specifically to this prophet Hananiah, who had, who had basically told the people not to integrate that God's going to conquer the Babylonians and they're going to have kind of free reign over, over Babylon and anything else that they want. And so he's, he's reacting to that. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Wow, that's going to take a lot of trust. Living in exile. To fully integrate into the life of the new, foreign, non-God-believing city. But then he says this. Then, verse 12, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. In other words, you're not going to lose your separateness, your distinctness, in that you are always going to worship me with your whole heart. You're always going to worship the one true God with everything that you have. You're never going to lose that. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Wow. I will be. What a promise. If you seek him with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So what does God say? God say his way is both. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city, And seek me with all of your heart. In other words, assimilate and never lose who you are. Be an insider 
who gets your marching orders from the outside. Here's what I mean. If all you do is assimilate and adapt to culture, then cultures can steer the ship if you're not careful. You'll just go wherever culture takes you. What the Christian call is, what the call of the people of faith is, get into culture, but let the Holy Spirit speak into your life, into that culture. Because sometimes the gospel, the gospel embraces culture on one sense, but it also is forced to confront culture sometimes. When God's truth is being opposed, the gospel must confront culture. And it's messy. We don't always get it right. Sometimes we do things that are too much culture-bound, and maybe we lose our distinctiveness, and other times we separate too much. I think the whole idea of this, of living in exile, is a lot like what it means to just to live the Christian life. I think it's a wonderful way of thinking about what our call is and how we're supposed to live. Because in a sense, we are all in exile until that day Jesus brings us home. We are all living in a land where we're not going to end up. We're all living in a foreign land trying to figure out what are we supposed to do in the meantime? How are we supposed to live this life? What does that look like for us? How are we supposed to navigate our working and playing and family and every, everything kind of life? What does this look like? Living in the midst of the exile. Well, let's think about it. Let's just bring it down to where we live right now. Monmouth County. Now, some of you live in other counties, but you get the point. Nobody's perfect. <laughs> just kidding. That's not the point. So Monmouth County. Let's throw up the map behind me. This means, according to what God says to Jeremiah, we ought to be praying for the peace and prosperity of where we live. You know, I, it's funny, because our church is in Red Bank, but and we really serve all these other cities equally, so it's hard to say where the, where the our city is Red Bank, or our city, our, Monmouth County, the area, if you will. This is the culture to which we've been called. We need to pray for the peace and prosperity of everybody in it whether they believe in God or not. What does God want? He wants us to be praying for the peace and prosperity of our city. But he doesn't want us to stop at praying. He wants us to work. To work for peace and prosperity in our city. I think sometimes Christians think think that, well, that means we have to do some kind of Christian thing that's separate from all the other things going on. And that's the only way we're really going to speak peace and prosperity. I think sometimes that's true. Absolutely. I think sometimes you need to have specifically Christian events or, or something. But I think most of the time it means how do we all kind of infiltrate, assimilate into all the things going on in our area and bring the gospel to those things where the people already are. That's why I love that we just volunteered at the Fireman's Fair. I took a picture of my view from my booth of the Fireman's Fair. And uh, it was such a great experience because we went to where the people are. 
And I have to say, I may be the worst person to ever run a game. I'm way too generous. Oh, take another turn. It's okay. I'm going to cut that out of the podcast. If you're listening online, you're, you're going to miss all that. <laughs> Don't you get mad at me. But, but the point is, we're going to where the people are. Why? Because we want to help the community. The peace and prosperity of the community is to raise funds for the local fire department. We are in. That's what God's people ought to be doing. What are all the other things we can be doing and partnering with? Getting involved in. You guys, you're the most involved church I've ever seen in my life. You people are involved. And I'm one of you, so I know. There's not a cause we don't love or volunteer for. And that's all good, but that's the point. We need to get to where the people are because that is how we are to show and live the gospel in our lives. I'll put it this way. If we were all Amish, for example, I don't mean to pick on them. That's just the example. If we all decided we're going to separate from culture forever, and actually you see there are some churches that do this. They have their own gym. They have their own Starbucks. They have their own, it's like a self-contained thing, which, I mean, certainly there's a part of me that's envious. I mean, you've got a Starbucks in your church, but... But the point is, you sort of are creating a Christian enclave or bubble rather than being where the people are. I think that's the danger. We want to work for the peace and prosperity of the city. And so I think it's all about, number three, I think it's about assimilating while never losing who you are. The gospel embraces culture, and yet at the same time, it's called to confront culture when it must. Let's, real quick about culture. I know that when I was a brand new Christian, I had Christian people that I looked up to who told me things that, basically, culture is bad. Throw away your, Christ, your non-Christian CDs, right? Get rid of anything unless it's Christian. And I think the problem with that, I don't know if that's really good theology. I think beauty exists Wherever God exists, you could find beauty even outside the walls of the church. I think we can all agree that. That where there is beauty, there is the fingerprint of God. That doesn't mean everything's equal, anything goes, you know, that's, that's not that. It's just that perhaps human culture itself isn't just inherently evil. I think back, and there's a train of thought that I know Tim Keller follows back to the theology of Abraham Kuyper that, that talks about common grace. And the idea is, is that human cultural activity, what we do as human beings, was something that was given to us before the fall, before sin broke everything. He put Adam and Eve in the garden to work it. How long did it take before Eve fashioned a rake to work the garden? Or Adam took something and produced cultural activity to do God's work. In other words, if it's something that happened before the fall, it means that God wants to redeem it. There's something good about human cultural activity. But there are times, because it's broken by sin, that it's just broken. And we have to say, no, that's not okay. I think thinking in this way is a way of getting at how are we supposed to live our faith in our lives. 
Maybe a simple way of boiling it down is to bloom where you are planted. This is the story of Esther. To bloom where you are planted. God has you where you are for a reason. He has people in your life, those specific people, for a reason. He wants you to be you, but the version of you that's living for him. That's it. That could basically be every sermon. But I'm going to keep, I like getting paid and having a job, so (laughs) I'm going to write a few more. Bloom where you're planted. Maybe a way of you digging into this this week, in your bulletin on the insert, I added a couple of questions for reflection. Maybe you want to take those questions this week and and dig in a little bit as you think about how can you bloom where you are planted as we seek to bring the gospel, not just in our life, but into the lives of others.